Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Strange Familiars. If you've got a story for us, if you've seen something strange or paranormal, a cryptid, UFO, ghosts, anything strange, you can email us, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. Well, Allison? Yes? It is the 200th episode. Oh, that's a lot of shows. <laughs> is this the clip show? No. Oh. <laughs> I it's... wanted like a, a classic 80s clip show 
At some point, I plan on doing a sort of a clip show. It's, okay. it's, it's more you couldn't of a, get the rights to the doodly 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 music. More of a recap <laughs> than a clip show. Okay. But today is not that day. Today is something more special than a clip show. I hope so. This is something I've been working on a very long time. I've been planning to do this show. It's very strange familiars. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that story, I do want to thank everybody. I just want to thank everybody for listening. I don't know if I thought it would go 200 episodes when we began. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it might be a limited uh, series in a way, or Mm -hmm. maybe I'd do one here and there. I think once it occurred to you that this is kind of like doing the audio version of a zine, you were like, oh yeah, I can keep this going for a while. It's very much like that. It's very much like that. And now I have no plans on stopping. I think we found our stride. And I absolutely love doing it. So many people tell me that they enjoy Strange Familiars and that they have been having a hard time or something and they listen to it and it gives them something else, you know, something to take their mind off or or something like this. And in that sense, I feel like I'm paying back a debt because I started listening to podcasts when I couldn't sleep when I was going through a hard time and I would literally wake up and not be able to get back to sleep and just lay awake for hours. And I just, I, I needed something to do and there was mm-hmm. no, no TV in the room. So I had heard about these things called podcasts. I don't even think I knew exactly what they were. And I started looking some up and I found Sasquatch Chronicles and I found Where Did the Road Go? Those are the two podcasts I started listening to. It's good you started with good ones. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I fell in love with with those podcasts, the fact that I'm on both on a semi-regular basis now is kind of neat because they really were what got me started into podcasts. And then at some point I thought, well, I'd like to try this. And of course, you know, I've said it before, Soraya helped me get started and gave me all the advice in the world and a platform. He, he actually gave me access to his listeners, putting Strange Familiars on his feed in the beginning. So we always like to thank Soraya. We always like to mention Soraya on these anniversary shows and so forth. But most of all, I'd like to thank the listeners and, of course, our patrons. We absolutely depend on that patron money to keep the show running at this point. Without that, there would be no Strange Familiars. So thank you so much, patrons. This show, episode 200, is dedicated to you. Really, all the shows are. (laughs) They're all dedicated to the patrons. But this show, especially this landmark show... You can help us continue to make Strange Familiars by becoming a patron at Patreon, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. There's all different kinds of levels of support there you can check out. There's monthly options. There's yearly options. Go ahead and check it out. We do patron shows for people. We did two in October. We have over 60 shows now, patron shows. We're planning a series that's sort of like an interactive patron experience. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff coming up for patrons and a lot of stuff coming up, of course, for everybody. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. And once again, thank you all for your help. Guess we should get in, into this... Uh, rather extensive outline i've got for episode 200 wait you don't just ad lib all these (laughs) (laughs) for short episodes i have but for something like this i absolutely need an outline 
So this is kind of a good segue between, say, the lone person making a zine about their kind of niche interest being you in the late 80s and someone maybe 10 years earlier. Yeah, exactly. This information is taken from what was essentially a zine published by a researcher in 1981. Most of the information is pulled from this publication by Dennis Polakis. It was called Night Siege, self-published. Was this kind of in zine form? Yeah, it was like underground newspaper t- form? Total or? zine format. It was, you know, it looks like it was photocopied. Maybe it was offset printed. I'm not sure, but it looks like a photo. It looks like a zine from the time, mm-hmm. you know. So Dennis Blakis was a researcher. He was doing Bigfoot and UFO research in Ohio at the time, and he published his findings for this case as this sort of uh, zine-like publication called Night Siege. But before we get into Dennis's stuff, let's lay a little groundwork for Bigfoot in Ohio around that time. Okay. So like the Bigfoot and UFO flaps in Pennsylvania, that was 1973, 1974, and again in 1978, the late 70s and early 1980s saw creatures and all the associated weirdness that goes with them. So we're not just talking about Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. It's Bigfoot, UFOs, anomalous big cats, poltergeist activity, all the strange stuff that comes together that Bigfoot researchers often don't like to talk about. These are all occurring in Ohio in the early 1980s. Let's start with an article from the Marion Star from Marion, Ohio, the 26th of June, 1980. Ohio Bigfoot sightings increase. Sightings of a creature known in the western portion of the United States as Bigfoot suddenly have reported from various parts of Ohio. I don't know for sure what it was I saw, but I didn't want to see it again, said Donna Riegler of Marysville, the wife of a Union County game protector. Mrs. Riegler said, She was driving home from work Tuesday when she spotted the creature. At first it looked like a dog, but then appeared to be a bear as she drove closer. And when Mrs. Riegler moved within 100 yards, she saw it lying in a fetal position, apparently eating something from the pavement. Whatever it was scared her so much that she said she reversed her car across the railroad tracks over which she had just passed without even looking out for trains. My husband gets calls all the time about seeing strange animals, she said. We were laughing about the whole idea about a Bigfoot Sunday night, and I forgot about it until I saw this thing. According to Mrs. Riegler, the creature walked stiffly with its flesh-colored palms out. It was covered with hair and had a robot-like walk, she said. Law enforcement officials in Union County said a man who did not want to be identified told them he saw a creature on June 17th. Sheriff's Deputy Mike Powers, who was assigned to the case with Captain John Overly, said, There was no doubt in our minds... There was something that somebody saw out there. Nobody makes up stories like that that we've been hearing. The Logan County Sheriff's Office said it was also investigating a report of a creature that ran through a grassy field into a wooded area. Patrick Poling, another Union County resident, reported seeing a creature that was about 7 feet tall and could have weighed 400 pounds on June 15th as it walked out of the woods and along the edge of a field. When I got about 100 feet from him, he turned and looked at me and then ran into the woods. It was a big, hairy ape that walked like a man. He had long black fur, but it wasn't fur. It was hair because it hung down straight. I don't know if his face was black or covered with black hair. Donald Mathis, a neighbor, made a plaster mold of the footprint, and it measured 17 inches long and 7 inches wide. I don't know if it would have occurred to me had it not been sort of common knowledge within the Bigfoot community to make a plaster cast of that. Was that already something people had been doing? People have been doing it since the late 50s. 
Yeah, so I guess it was kind of... And is there, like, another arena in which people make, like, do people for fun, like, make plaster casts of other prints and tracks? Like, yeah, is that where it started tracks it? and stuff, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the follow-up to that article you just read notes that experts at the Columbus Zoo were studying the plaster casts. Another article stated that trackers who were observing the prints noted that the creatures seemed to be migrating to the east. So they're thinking at this point there's more than one of them. I guess so. Another article from the Akron Beacon Journal gets into the topic with more depth. This is from the Akron Beacon Journal, June 29th, 1980. Bigfoot question mark? Hairy seven-footer seen hanging around central Ohio farmland. This is from Marysville. Union County Sheriff's Deputy William Griffith looked over some paperwork Friday while a white-hot sun beat against the window. Griffin often buys drugs from men with watery eyes. Some of those men now are growing old in Ohio prisons. And on the other side of the room, Detective Mike Powers was reading a report that told about a tall, hairy fellow with 17-inch feet. Hey, Griff, Powers said, what do you think of Bigfoot? Don't bother me with that unless he wants to sell some drugs, Griffith snapped. But residents of Union and Logan counties have been bothered and amused by accounts that the legendary monster has taken up residence here. Those who live in the small towns and villages of these two mostly rural counties joke about Bigfoot's appearances, but those who live on the farms in the area of the sightings are a bit more cautious. They are cautious mainly because of the reputation of those who claim to have seen Bigfoot. Hey, I laughed at the whole thing at first, Powers admitted, but now I'm not so sure. I think it should be looked into. You talk to Pat Poling, and you won't be so sure either. Poling farms on the border between Logan and Union counties. He was the first to sight the creature in the area. There are 434 square miles in Union County. There are only 28 to 100 people, and 12,000 of them live in incorporated areas. There are a lot of lonely places in Union County. Logan County has 469 square miles, with a population of 37,000. About 13,000 of them live in incorporated areas. The rest of the population in each county lives on farms, and there are 2,598 of them, about evenly split between the counties. When television commentators talk about the heartland, They are talking about such counties as Union and Logan. Come summer, a farmer there spends long, solitary hours driving a tractor across one field or another. He is alone, miles away from other humans. On June 17th, Poling had been to a baseball game. Poling is in his 30s and has two adolescent sons. He returned from the game where he had watched one of his sons play and decided to do some cultivating in one of his cornfields before the light failed. It was about 8.30 p.m. Poling had worked for a short time when he glanced along his fence line at the edge of the woods. Something caught my eye, he said. At first I thought it was a bear, but it wasn't no bear. It came out of the woods and had to duck under a branch hanging out over the fence, and then it stood up. It was about seven feet tall, but maybe more. I mean, it walked with its knees bent a little. It walked along the fence line. It wasn't like anything I had seen before. It wasn't a monkey or a gorilla or anything. I watched it. I was really scared at first. But then I figured it couldn't hurt me as long as I was on the tractor, he said. So I moved toward it. It was walking along the fence perpendicular to me. I wanted to see if I could turn it around so I could see its face. So I gassed the tractor to head it off. And that's when it stopped and turned and looked at me. It turned around like this, and Poling crouched, held his hands at his side, and turned his whole body. When facing front, his palms were out in a curious gesture, almost as though in an appeal for understanding. And when asked about the gesture, Poling glanced in surprise at his hands. Yeah, he said, like this, this is how he stood. Poling said he's most upset because he could see no facial features, even though he estimated the creature was only about 30 yards away. I just couldn't see any face. There was just nothing there, he said. 
Poling is reluctant to talk about his experiences. He's been plagued with phone calls, he said, and goaded by radio and television people to make some controversial statement or another. One television crew came to his home while he was in the fields and took his two sons and talked to the boys and talked them into taking them to the site where the creature was spotted. I'm tired of it, he said, and shook his head. I refuse to go on TV. The radio called, and I said I wouldn't go on the radio, and they said okay, and then they taped the telephone call. One television station told me everybody wants to be on TV, and I told them I didn't. Tired of the whole business, too, is Donna Riegler, a legal secretary, the wife of a Union County game protector. She was on her way home Tuesday, about 5.30. It had been a hot, muggy day. The sky darkened, electricity crackled, and when the rain came, it fell in large drops. I was in a good mood. I just wanted to get home, she said. I went over the railroad track slowly. I always do because I don't want to knock my wheels out of line. And then I saw this thing laying on the road, hunched over. I thought it was a big dog at first, and then it stood up, and I thought it was a man. I thought he was crazy laying on the road. I couldn't figure out why he was out there. He had no golf clubs, no luggage, and then he turned around and looked at me. She said the creature was about 60 yards away. Mrs. Riegler was asked what it looked like. She stood up, bent her knees a bit, and then held her hands, palms out, in the same gesture of appeal that Poling had taken. When that was pointed out to her, she glanced down at her hands, surprised. Well, yes, that's how he stood, she said. Mrs. Riegler said she could see no facial features. I was scared, she said. I was afraid he was coming after me. Maybe he didn't really come toward me. I was just scared. She said she backed the car over railroad tracks and onto another road. She said she stopped at a stranger's house, was admitted, and broke down sobbing, and when she collected herself, she said she called her husband. Both Poling and Mrs. Riegler are believable witnesses. Each reacts with suspicion when asked about the creature. Believable, too, is Larry Ramey, 27. Ramey sighted the creature Thursday night. He was on a tractor in Logan County, just across the border from Union County. He said the creature came out of the woods, saw 13-foot, 270-horsepower tractor, and came toward it. At first I thought it was Al or Billy, he said, meaning two other men working with him, but then I saw it wasn't them. It was big. He said the creature went back into the woods when another tractor approached. So there's a sidebar in the article, too, that says five have sighted big hairy creature. Also, it gives um, most of these individual accounts, except for um, this one by Ray Quay that we've not read about. Okay, let's, let's hear that one. Uh, June 19th, Ray Quay said he came around his barn and saw the creature, yelled at it, and it walked off into some heavy undergrowth. Quay's son, Thomas, said he saw the same creature a little later. So are they basically describing the classic sort of Patty turnaround? Well, I don't know. When they say they can't see any facial features. Yeah, that, and they're within 30 yards, they said, and they can't, they can make out all these other details, but they can't see a face. Yeah, to me, that is a very weird detail, and it reminds me of... The witness we had on who saw the blacker than black Bigfoot, mm -hmm. and he said it looked like its face was imploding. It was so black. I have to say, this doesn't happen too often, but I'm actually getting kind of chills from these stories. Because these people are like, I, I hate that sort of subjective, like, these are believable witnesses versus these are unbelievable witnesses. But these people don't particularly have a lot to gain and right. potentially a lot to lose by yeah. by talking about their stories. So two years earlier than these was Minerva, Ohio. The area surrounding Minerva were experiencing Bigfoot activity with what would become known as the Minerva Monster. So this was not new to Ohio, these creatures. So this would have been in 78, around the same time as the Pennsylvania Bigfoot flap, this Minerva flap? Yeah, yeah, it would have been right around that same time, um, maybe a little bit later, maybe a year later. 
The Minerva Monster can be a show for another time. We can okay. do a show on that at another time. But it is worth noting, I think, that uh, Minerva happened, you know, as far as uh, the great scheme of time goes, mm-hmm. r- relatively close to these And this things. is, the Minerva Monster is another Bigfoot-like creature? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So why Bigfoot was showing up in Ohio, it's funny that the flesh and blood cryptozoologist types, they were already at the time out with these unprovable explanations. They had them ready at hand. Mm-hmm. I thought this was very funny. They asserted that Bigfoot mm-hmm. were migrating to Ohio from Washington State because of the Mount St. Helens volcano eruption. Wow. Yes. There's a, I mean, just knowing just your basic geography. There's a lot of states in between those two. There's a lot of states to, to travel. Yeah. And why settle in Ohio? Maybe they weren't settling. Maybe they were passing they were through. passing through? Who knows? Yeah. The eruption occurred on May 18th, 1980, is mm-hmm. when Mount St. Helens occurred. These reports started in June of 1980, the ones we're currently talking about. So that means Bigfoot made it from Washington State to Ohio in less than a month. He was hoofing it Mm -hmm. to get there. And uh, what about all those states in between, Washington and Ohio? You know, nobody saw this uh, group of migrating Bigfoot. Going through through Minneapolis. Yeah, coming through their state. (laughs) So, of course, other so-called experts weighed in to debunk these sightings. So we're presenting this next article, not so much to give the skeptics view, it's easy to cry hoax at any time, but instead is to just note the weird and varied footprints they talk about. This is from the Dayton News, October 14th, 1980. All right, so this looks like we're doing a little damage control here, right? Mm -hmm. Bigfoot, just a joke, says expert. An Ohio University zoologist said Monday that the creature reported to be roaming Minton County is a Bigfoot that leaves small footprints with differing numbers of toes. In other words, the Ohio version of Bigfoot is fake, says Dr. Gerald Svensson. Svensson has spent weeks checking reports and evidence of the creature in the woods east of MacArthur. He said all the evidence he has seen indicates a hoax. The footprints were dug out by hand, Svensson said. You can see the sand that was dug out alongside the track, he said, adding that anyone with experience in functional anatomy or zoology could find many things wrong with the footprints. What we have is a small-footed Bigfoot with variable toes, he said. Toe counts varied between five and six at different sites, and sometimes the toe points to the left, sometimes to the right, Svensson said. Different prints made the creature range in size from seven feet to 18 feet tall. Svensson believes scratches found on trees in the area were not done by primates, but with 16 or 20 penny nails. The only thing that can't be discounted are people's claims of creature sightings, Svensson said he believes the reported sightings may be the result of some weird psychology. It's interesting to me that these strange tracks are being reported, especially when we're going to get into some Bigfoot strangeness. This Mm. is not your five-toed paddy tracks. These are some weird tracks. And of course, to anyone who knows about primate anatomy, it looks like a hoax. No primate should have three toes. Shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And yet... <laughs> the tracks tell otherwise. So the night siege events that Dennis Polakis wrote about, they take place around Rome, Ohio. Now there's two Romes in Ohio, believe it or not. Okay. This is the Rome, Ohio that is a bit further northeast than the 1980 reports. Okay. We're going to try to give the events as they happened in chronological order as best as we can determine. 
Most of these experiences center around a family living on a farm in Rome, Ohio, on Johnson Road. Palakis identified the family only by the first name of one of the family members, Robert. So for convenience, I use that interchangeably throughout Robert or the Roberts family or or Robert's family. So Mm -hmm. not to be confusing, but that's the only name we have to go by. Things at the farm, the strangeness started in the later half of 1980. So remember those reports we read earlier said the creatures were moving east. This is actually northeast of those areas. Okay. The tracker said. Sometime around October 1980, Robert's 16-year-old son wakes up screaming. If we're playing along in Strange Familiar's bingo, let's go for the adolescent in the household. (laughs) Young adult in (laughs) the household. And you can also go for the seeing something in the window. Staring in his window, he sees the face of some sort of creature. And the family at this time believes he just had some sort of nightmare. They don't put this together with the rest of the stuff until much later. In December of 1980, a deer is found dead in the nearby woods, and its side appeared to be ripped open by something with claws. But then in the late spring of 1981, things begin to really heat up around the farm. In May, a group of Amish were cutting wood on Robert's property. They brought with them 600 pounds of livestock feed into the woods for their horses. The next morning, they found the bags torn open again by something which seemed to have claws toward these bags open. The following day, Robert heard shots coming from the area where the Amish were working. When they came out of the woods, he asked them what they were shooting at. The Amish claimed that they were shooting snakes. However, when they brought their horses out, one looked to have been attacked by something. It showed what appeared to be claw marks on its side that were one and a half inches deep. So that's a considerable gouge Mm -hmm. on the side of the horse. And the Amish refused to discuss the incident. They brought in another horse, like, temporarily, but Mm -hmm. soon they just left the area. They left all their tools in the woods, and they didn't retrieve them for over a month. That is very unusual Amish activity. Yeah, they cut out and did not come back for over a month. Hmm. In mid-June 1981, a gas line was being cut through a densely wooded region in the area. The bulldozer operator who was clearing the way for the gas line, came upon this clearing. It was completely cleared, 40 square feet, he said, completely bare. No grass, no weeds, not even any rocks. And the only thing there were four huge holes dug in the ground. He said they were about the size of 50-gallon drums, oil drums, just dug into the ground, these four holes, nothing else, completely bare ground. So Robert asked the operator if he went around the spot, and he replied, I get paid to go through things, not around. So he just plowed right through whatever that was. Can I make an observation here? Yeah. You know, when you talk about sort of typical poltergeist activity within a house, that sometimes it's the act of working on a house or doing renovations that causes it. Mm -hmm. So here we are outside and they're doing major renovations to the earth. Yeah, digging into the ground, as I often say. about Digging into the ground. So many of these places where I find this activity... People have been digging into the ground. I mean, mines and quarries and all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, if it was enough to have him leave when the ground exploded in Washington State, imagine what this was going to (laughs) disrupt. The Roberts family, they kept both ducks and chickens on their farm. On June 15th, 1981, four ducks and one chicken entered the woods. They did not leave the woods. Again, if we're talking 
Bigfoot strangeness, mm-hmm. deaths of fowl, right up there. Chickens always go missing and found dead and so forth. So these birds were found dead in the woods. Their heads appeared to have been bitten off. Mm-hmm. Each duck seemed to have a big bite mark in its stomach area as well. Around the dead birds were large footprints and what appeared to be more claw marks in the ground. About one half mile south of this location, large holes were found dug into a big pile of sawdust. Another part of the sawdust pile had been completely destroyed and torn apart by something. And as spring turned to summer in 1981, things around Robert's farm would get stranger yet. On June 25th, 1981, the family saw something chasing ducks in their yard. So now it's more than just sort of the nightmare of the son. The whole family's starting to get involved in this now? Oh yeah, the whole family will become very involved with this. After hearing a commotion outside, the family witnessed this big black form going after the ducks. The creature was quadrupedal, so it was on all fours. They could see no other details in the body, just blackness with two big glowing red eyes. So one of Robert's boys shined a flashlight in the creature's eyes, and Robert shot the creature with a four ten shotgun. Do bears have a... Do bears have tapetum lucidum? Tapetum lucidum, yeah. They do. They okay. do. And interestingly, Bigfoot eye glow comes in all different colors, according to witnesses. Orange, red, blue, green. Mm-hmm. Most animals, because of their diet, have consistent eye glow. It will look orange or it will look kind of whitish or mm-hmm. it will look, you know, one color. Bears, however depending on their diet, can have different color eye glow. So bears have been seen with green eye glow and with yellowish eye glow and with kind of reddish eye glow. So it's very interesting that you ask, can bears have, you know, do bears have tapetum They do, and in fact, they are noted as having these different color eye shine. Hmm. But this, the family is very sure that this is eye glow not eye shine, the way they describe their, these okay. glowing eyes again and again. So one of Robert's boys shined a flashlight in the creature's eyes. Robert shot the creature with a four ten shotgun. He said he was sure he hit it right between the two big glowing red eyes. Mm-hmm. The creature lets out this horrifying scream and runs off into the night. It was so quick that he didn't have time to get a second shot off. It continues screaming as it runs away. They hear it screaming as it goes off into the, the fields and into the woods. They described it as changing pitch from low to high, the scream. And the family estimated the creature to be between seven and eight feet tall. So that's bigger than any black bear should be, and there shouldn't be grizzlies in Ohio. Shouldn't you be able to, say, if you're killing a typical flesh and blood animal, be able to follow a trail of blood? A trail of blood of an animal that large as it bleeds out? You should. The following night at 2 a.m., Robert's dog started barking very loudly and then began whimpering as if it was afraid of something. So Robert goes outside. He finds the dog trying to dig under the push mower and hide. So he's, he's trying to get mm-hmm. under the, the push mower. He yells at the dog to stop. The dog won't listen to him. He starts shining his flashlight around the yard, and he saw something which he said looked similar to a gorilla. It was standing upright with red glowing eyes next to a hoist Robert had constructed in his backyard. The creature starts snorting and growling. He pans his flashlight down to look at more of the creature, and he said he he started feeling like he was going to have a heart attack. Mm. He was so scared. He runs back inside. He wakes up his sons and grabs his shotgun. He said he could hear the creature move around to the back of the house. They leave through the front door. 
and they can hear the creature now in the field screaming and moving away from them. So they get in their pickup truck and they try to chase it, but they lose it in the wood line. So they drive down to their neighbor's house. They had a neighbor about a half mile down the road from them. And they asked their neighbor if they'd seen anything strange. And they said they had not. So they drive back to their house. And on the way, they could hear something in the brush alongside them on the road. Why did they have the windows open? (laughs) (laughs) These seem like rookie mistakes to me. This family is brave. Yeah, I was going like, to say, like, I, why would you chase after this? Yeah, I mean, you'll hear more of their shenanigans as time goes on. This family is... is and so just as a... Um, is, is this a report that the author of the magazine had taken from them? Like, how do we know this information? Yes, Dennis Blakus became very close with this family after multiple visits. But there are police reports as well, which we'll read. So on the way back to their house, they're driving back. They hear something in the brush. They couldn't see anything. And although they had a full tank of gas, at this point, the pickup truck just stops running. Okay, we're going to put this on the check mark. Yep. <laughs> Keep your list because there's plenty going on here. But then we drove into the crop circle and we couldn't take a photo anymore. <laughs> Another neighbor drives up randomly. They just randomly mm-hmm. And they ask Robert, like, why are you stopped in the middle of the road? He tells the neighbors what happened. Meanwhile, they can still hear something in the brush, breaking brush and, and moving around. And the neighbor tells them this story. The neighbor's boys were camping in the backyard. And they ran back into the house after they heard growling noises. And they said they saw something that looked like a bear. So eventually the truck starts. Robert drives back home. When they get home, they notice that the creature had broken, presumably the creature had broken an electrical line that ran from the barn to the hoist in his backyard. So he describes the creature that he saw in the flashlight. And he says it was about nine and a half feet tall. He was able to judge its size because it was standing next to the hoist. And the hoist was 12 feet tall that he had built. The eyes were glowing red, each about the size of a baseball. It was covered in long shaggy hair that was either dark brown or black in color. It had a big flat pushed down nose. That's how he described it. It had prominent fangs, both on upper and lower. So it's got fangs. Or canines that are. Canines on both top and bottom. The rest of the teeth he described as sharp, pointed, and shark like. So this thing's got a f- mouthful of fangs, basically. It had a thick, gorilla like body. It was standing upright on two legs. He didn't see any nipples, but he observed like white patches, he said, about the size of a 50 cent piece that were on the creature's chest. Odd observation. So casts were made of the tracks left in the area. And these tracks are, are weird. They're about eight inches long, which isn't very big. Oh, that's not that much bigger than a normal man's foot. Right. Seven inches wide, so they're almost as wide as they are long. Wow. And they show three toes. All right, here we go. Check. Yeah. They're just weird-looking tracks. They're not anything like a, a primate should have at all. Yeah. They look like bird feet. Yeah, and how would that hold up something that's... It's very, very strange. Nine feet it's, tall. It's very, very strange. This whole, honestly, like, like I'm very familiar with this case at this point, and I mean to pursue it further. But even just going through this, like you talk about getting chills, like just thinking about what this family did, I'm just getting chills thinking like it's just weird stuff. To me, anytime there's more than one person involved for multiple times, it's immediately takes on a different air than someone who just has a lone sighting that could maybe be passed off on the basis of like exhaustion or right. suggestion and and it goes well beyond 
this family. Like, other people start seeing them, too. So On June 28th, the creatures return to Robert's farm. Late that night, they notice things moving around in the wood line. Now, here's... Here's where we separate from... how brave this family is. I would not let my son drive a tractor into the field where we just saw a a creature with red glowing eyes. (laughs) Yeah. So the youngest son gets on a tractor and drives out into the field. And they notice this black form at the tree line waving a dark blue light back and forth. Check. Check. (laughs) (laughs) If this is a drinking... A Strange Familiar's drinking game, everyone is already pretty substantially drunk. So they get prepared to shoot this entity... They have no problem taking yeah, shots at these things. Yeah, they're out for blood. <laughs> the light goes out. And it's worth noting, the family notes these black forms. And they were different than the Bigfoot creatures. At least they seem to be different from their description. They have a silhouette of a human and no glowing eyes. So they're almost just like black shadow people, I guess. Sometimes they said the silhouettes would be surrounded by like a soft white glow. Oh, almost like if something black was able to glow. Often you would see a flash of blue light right before these black forms appeared. Check. (laughs) Other times the forms would be seen waving a blue light, like a flashlight or a lantern. And even yet other times these lantern-like lights would be seen by themselves with no apparent form holding them. Welcome to Site 7. So back on Robert's farm on the night of June 28th, they continue from the field to the clearing and they start seeing these black creatures with the red glowing eyes again. Multiple creatures. More than one. And they just start firing at them. So this must be pretty late at night, because this would have been the time of the year where it wouldn't get dark, really. Like, totally dark till about 9.30, 10 o'clock, right? Yeah. They end up using two full boxes of shotgun shells. <laughs> they shoot at these creatures. <laughs> Eventually, they hit one, which they said falls to the ground on its stomach... They observed the eyes drop to ground level, these glowing red eyes. They continue to fire at this thing while it's down. They just unload and shotgun blasts on these things. But they see two more sets of red eyes approaching them, approaching this creature. So they start firing their guns, and these, <laughs> these two creatures, apparently creatures, these mm-hmm. two sets of red eyes, they split up. One goes one way, the other goes the oh. other way. And then now they're afraid they're, gonna be, they're being flanked, which I would feel the same way so they just retreat to the house and they said they stayed in the house the rest of the night they're looking out the windows they're seeing creatures movement in the tree line and so forth and they do not know what becomes of the creature they shot later they found more of those three-toed footprints around their property this is a story that in my mind is right up there with Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, that's what, it, that's, going yeah that's what it reminds me yeah. of. Please tell me that the mother is in the house just starting to pack boxes. <laughs> On June 29th, 1981, Robert called the police two times. So this is the next night. Yep. This is all a very compressed time this is happening. The first time they called was at 5 a.m. They called for su- suspicious activity around their property. We have the police report. It reads as follows. Robert reported that on Wednesday and Thursday evening of late last week, he and his family were awakened by loud growling and activity in the front and backyard. When he went to check the disturbance, they reportedly saw a large black-colored animal standing about seven to nine feet tall. Each time they shined a light on the animal or attempted to shoot it, it would run off into the woods. Last evening, the animal returned and was in the north field behind the house. Robert and his sons chased the animal toward a clearing in the north tree lake where they said they saw three pairs of large eyes. They fired several shots at the animals and were waiting for daylight to check for any signs. 
I checked the area along with Mr. S and saw no signs of blood or tissue. We did discover a few large prints on the ground, but they were distorted. Mr. S said he called our offices and gave Morden Kelly last week, and he was told nothing could be done unless a clear print could be obtained. Mr. S mentioned that he had lost four ducks and a chicken since the activity had started, and advised of other incidences where horses belonged to Amish loggers and other farm animals had been attacked. So at 11 p.m. the same day, the police were called out to Robert's farm again, this time for suspicious noises, and this police report we have as well. I arrived at the above location and met with the Robert family. They explained that they had been hearing strange noises on their property for the last week or so, and said that they had seen a huge animal also at nighttime. He said that it looked like it stood about nine feet tall. The animal makes a really loud growl. He said it looked like it could be a bear, and it always had been dark when they saw it, so he hasn't gotten a really good look at it. They have found large paw marks in the ground above his property. Deputy D came to the scene with a shotgun, and Sergeant F arrived also. We checked the area with our spotlights, but didn't see anything, and resumed our patrol. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So by July 1981, researcher Dennis Polakis is on the scene. So has he been involved with other investigations? Yeah, he was one of these guys. I imagine he was probably in contact with Stan Gordon back in the day. He's part of this sort of network of guys that are doing this like early paranormal. Yeah, 40 and kind of research. And because he's the closest, he gets the. Yeah, he was very close to Rome. So Polakis said of the Roberts family, and this is a quote. When I first came on the scene, I found obvious things straight off that substantiated their story. There were two ladders up against the family house. Up on the roof were coffee cups, flashlights, and coats. The yard was covered with spent shotgun shells. The family was in a great state of agitation and stress. The family appeared to be honest, troubled, and confused by what they were going through. Polakis finds a trackway in a field nearby, which consisted of 40 or more three-toed tracks. There's a six-foot stride between the prints, but there were places where the trackway just stopped. What, you mean where the footprints end? Where the footprints end, <laughs> only to resume again some great distance away. Another trackway was found, which led to the back of the house, where the creature seemed to have dropped to all fours. On July 1st, 1981, the Valley News of Orwell, Ohio, printed the following story. Strange Beast Roams in Rome, Ohio. A Rome family has reported a large mystery animal roaming around its home and terrorizing horses and other farm livestock. The family on Johnson Road reported that it shot at the black animal described as between 7 to 9 feet tall Sunday. Sheriff deputies did not find any animal, but did find some large footprints near their home. 
The animal reportedly showed up on Wednesday, and the family said loud growling and commotion in the yard awakened it. The family said every time they shined a light on the animal, it would return to the woods. The animal came back Sunday, and the family chased it into a clearing where several shots were fired. It is unknown if the animal was hit. So Robert's family took to staying up on the roof to keep watch. And we've heard this before with these sort of uh, Bigfoot sieges around the country. Other people have reported that. I think um, Hanobia, the siege of Hanobia, and I may be pronouncing that wrong. They, the family did the same thing. They got up on the roof. There was one in Kentucky where the same thing happened. The family would get up on the roof to kind of like keep an eye out and watch Have the high creatures. ground. Yeah. Don't they know they can climb up on the roof and make noises? Exactly, right? <laughs> on the night of July 1st, 1981, they're on the roof and they witness multiple strange sights. First, two of the family members witness a series of lights hovering above the trees. They saw four lights. They described them as somewhat blocky, the size of huge tanks. I guess like propane tanks or something. Oh, like a UFO? Yeah, they're seeing UFOs. Oh, okay. The lights changed in color from red to blue to yellow to what the family reported as something that looked like black. Something? So like a black light, I, you know. They're, oh, they they're talked scary. about that before, kind of like those black forms that had like a an aura of, of another color. Yeah. At some point, they witness this bright white light shine down from one of the objects that lights up an area on the ground about the size of a half acre. They said it was lit up bright as day. Oh, here we go. <laughs> While they're viewing these lights, they hear something which sounds like a woman screaming check. coming from the trees. <laughs> yep. I'm sorry, I'll stop my, my check. There's almost too many. You can just, how about if we'll just uncheck them if they don't? <laughs> so these hovering lights go out, but once again, these humanoid black forms appear in the tree line. And whenever the family would shoot at the forms, they would issue a scream. So they're just willy-nilly firing at these things at this point. And they don't know also if the fact that they fired off all of these rounds has alerted anyone, including like a police officer or someone who might be investigating that they're just wildly shooting into the woods at. There's a lot of craziness like this. Like, I, we'll get into it. There's some points where it's like they're pulling the trigger and it's like, you are lucky that it wasn't and, a person and, and or... stuff beyond guns. We'll get into it. It's, <laughs> it's wacky. So whenever they would shoot at these black forms, they would scream and then these glowing eyes would light up in the woods. So then they'd shoot at the red eyes with no effect. And they could see these black forms, they said, running to the left and right of whatever they targeted. And they thought that the red eyes were watching them, but somehow also being used as, as a distraction from these more human-like black forms. So they believed they hit the black forms more than once. Each time they would scream and run off. Later that night... They noticed two sets of glowing red eyes approach from the field and stand b beside their barn. And they try to talk to these entities from the rooftop. They tried to say, you know, hello, you know, what are you doing, whatever. We're going to shoot you mercilessly, you better well, get away. Well, <laughs> they receive no answer, so they shoot. And the creatures scream and ran off. This is the part that's really freaky to me. After this, they notice something which looked to them like their horse standing in the field. But they were 100% sure their horse was locked up in the barn. Now, I would not have been so sure as that. I would have thought maybe th these things set the horse free, right? But they knew they, they said they knew it couldn't be their horse, so they just start shooting at this <laughs> but horse. But it could be somebody else's horse. <laughs> they hear the horse scream, 
and not in the voice of a horse. You know, it's screaming in the voice of one of these creatures and runs off. Oh, like a shape-shifting thing? Yeah, I mean, that's what it sounds like. So they come down off the roof and they check the field. No hair, no blood, just a, a set of what they called strange prints. Now, I don't know what form they took. That, that's all they said, strange prints. Still on the same night, back on, up on the roof, another object flies overhead. And they said this object was shaped like a cigar box and it was flying about 200 feet above them. It had blue lights around the exterior with a brighter red light in the center. And they said it was completely silent. It wasn't like any other you know, plane or something. They couldn't hear an engine. So Robert has his sons brace his feet because they're on the roof, remember? Uh-huh. And he shoots up at this UFO. Up in the air. Yeah, so they're bracing his feet so he doesn't fall when he shoots. Oh, because they're, so, like, they're on some... the roof. He's got his sons bracing his feet. <laughs> and he shoots at this UFO going above them. He hears a sound like breaking glass and the red light goes out. But nothing else happens. The object just continues on its way. The, so, like, he shot the lights out of the back end of a cigar box-shaped UFO as he's shooting off the roof with the ricochet such that his kids have to hold him down? Right. It's, like, so the only noticeable effect from this shot seems to be that they, he shot this red light out. He just got out. the tail light out of it <laughs> as it's going it's by their house. Crazy. Like, this is why this case isn't better known in the paranormal world. I will not know because this is just insane. Absolutely insane. Back up on the roof, 3.30 a.m., same night. A family member sees a white light above a neighboring cornfield. Now he says this white light shoots a beam at him, which he feels hit him in the head. It causes him to stagger. He nearly falls off the roof. Another family member sees what's going on and, of course, fires a ball from his shotgun. No, it doesn't try to catch him before he falls off the roof. Fires at the white light. The light goes out. The family member that was hit by the beam, he said he almost lost consciousness. He had a headache for the rest of the day. Do these people own a tape recorder? Like, I, I, I would have been tape recording some of this at least. Yeah, I don't know. So about an hour later, a red glowing light appears in a tree next to their house. Get ready for another check mark here. They describe it as looking like a red hot coal, but larger in size. Of course, they begin shooting at it. That's the only reasonable <laughs> thing to do. The object seems to jump down in the branches, kind of as they're shooting. It kind of it looks like it jumps down from branch to branch, and it takes on a form which the family described, and this is a quote, as something like an owl. They didn't even have the handbook, like, and they, yeah. they hit all the marks. So they continue to shoot the creature. It continues to jump down. Finally, it, kind of, it looks like it falls out of the tree, and this mm. owl thing, this owl creature, then runs off into the woods in, on all fours. So they, the family walks down to the tree and they noticed, the only thing they noticed was an impression on the ground and they said it looked like something heavy fell from the branches. No feathers, nothing. On the night of July 3rd, 1981, Robert is again on his rooftop. As he's watching for activity, he notes the strange fog rolls in and the fog appears only to envelop the house, nothing else. Fog just kind of rolls in. Later, they notice two forms moving through the field in the back of the house. They watch them for about 15 minutes before, of course, they start firing on them. <laughs> it drops to the ground, screaming and growling. After about 30 seconds, it gets up and runs away. As this happened, they said the second form kind of backed away into the trees. I'm just going to make a leap. 
saying that if you live on a farm in rural Ohio where you're regularly shooting off of your roof, the next night is going to be kind of a big night for that anyway. <laughs> I think if... <laughs> Either, do if you, you think start they shoot, so far out that it, well, this isn't? It issue. must have been. If yeah. they're shooting off boxes and boxes of shotgun shells, and no one and their neighbors noticing. aren't calling the police. They must live way out in the middle of nowhere. On July fourth, Polycus returns to Robert's farm to look for more evidence in the field where he shot the creature the night before. He finds a series of tracks. So the tracks previously were almost circular. They were as, almost as wide yeah, as, as mm-hmm. they were long. These tracks are much longer. They're about fourteen inches long and about six inches wide. And they show three long claw-like toes. These are comparable to the three-toed Bigfoot tracks found around Pennsylvania and Maryland in the 70s and early 80s. Once again, people like to say Bigfoot, flesh and blood cryptozoologists like to say that these three-toed tracks rarely happen. Not the case. These three-toed tracks happen a lot and all over the country. On July 7th, 1981, another creature approaches Robert's house. You're wondering what his wife was doing? Mm Mm-hmm. 4.30 a.m., he was getting ready to drive his wife to work. He hears a noise outside. He grabs his flashlight and goes out. He sees this large black creature running off. He noticed a wet impression of the creature's foot on the concrete, so he traces an outline of this foot. Mm -hmm. Other footprints were found in the yard that were still wet when Polycus arrived 12 hours later. So unlike the previous track finds, though, these were of the five-toed variety. So here we have three-toed tracks. We have five-toed tracks showing up. I want to know about this poor woman that has to get up at 4 a.m. for work and her husband and sons have been on the roof shooting guns for seven hours. <laughs> I would stay at work, personally. I wouldn't come I would definitely I would want, I would definitely want the, the escort to work. You, mm. Yeah, you will be driving me to work if there's Bigfoot hanging out out there. So Robert relates another story to Polycus, and I'm guessing from the context that this probably occurred on July 6, 1981. He said the black forms had returned again, and they'd seen a large black form standing at an opening in the wood line. Of course, what does he do? He offers it candy. (laughs) He shoots it. It seems to have been hit. It screams and runs into the woods at a very fast speed. So Polycus examines the area where the creature was standing. He finds more three-toed tracks and something which looked like big hoof prints. Hooves the size that, according to Polycus, said did not come from anything of earthly origin. So now we have three-toed tracks, we've got five-toed tracks, and we've got weird hoof prints as well. In a nearby grassy field, Polycus finds more five-toed tracks. He said these were impressed into the grass by something that stepped down hard and with great weight. Stranger than this, however, is the grass around these tracks, and I've seen photographs of these. It's swirled in a clockwise pattern around the tracks. It looks like a crop circle. Oh, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Around these tracks. They're really, really bizarre. Don't they talk about that with some of the people that have had um, odd experiences within crop circles or or have been there right after they appear where they see light and then they have a very specific pattern of that rural within the crop circles? Yeah. So Poikas, he'd been investigating Bigfoot and UFOs for some time at this point, and he called these tracks... This is, again, a quote from Polycus. One of the strangest things I'd ever seen. They are really bizarre. Did anyone take a picture? Yeah, I think there's photographs of, mm. of these tracks. In all, five prints were found with the swirling effect, each spaced about six feet apart, and they found more three-toed tracks as well. So I would have been spending every night out there. Would you? 
Yeah, I would. You would have been up on the roof having those kids hold you while you shot guns. <laughs> I don't know. Randomly. If, see, I don't know if I would have been shooting guns at it, but you would have had a tape recorder. Polycus decides to spend the night on July seventh, nineteen eighty-one, and he brings with him fellow research Willard McIntyre. Willard McIntyre was from Maryland, so he they must have been in contact. Mm-hmm. These researchers, you know, this network of researchers, and he comes in from Maryland to be part of this research team. And this guy is uh, something else. We'll get into more stuff about him. He's he's a cowboy. More than this family? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the researchers arrive at the house. They find the family loading their guns. They're getting ready for another it's night. It's Yeah. One of the family members reports already at this point seeing glowing red eyes in the tree line. So the investigators approach the wood line. They see this glowing figure step out of the woods on the other side of the field. The family shoots it. They appear to hit it which drops to the ground, disappears in the tall grass. So this is something that the researchers are witnessing as yes. well? Okay. Yeah. So Polakis runs to the area. By the time he gets there, there's only an impression in the grass remaining. He said it looked like something dragged itself from the field back into the woods. In an interesting twist, Polakis and McIntyre begin throwing rocks into the woods. Oh, that's supposed to be happening on the other end. And this is answered by rocks being thrown back. Okay, there we go. (laughs) Over their heads, it lands near the family members who are now like 15 feet behind them. They start observing more glowing red eyes in the woods. The activity starts coming closer to the house, so everybody kind of retreats back to the residence. They got a real Hatfield and McCoy McCoy kind of thing going on here. They keep seeing these glowing red eyes all around the house. Occasionally, an entity would appear surrounded by white light. So they're seeing these black forms surrounded by and white light. This is being again. witnessed by both Polycus and McIntyre. Polycus, McIntyre, and the family. These glowing red eyes were observed at different heights, from as low as three feet off the ground to as high as 12 feet off the ground. So, you know, were the creatures crawling or were they different sizes of creatures? Who knows? At one point, Polycus sees a 12 foot tall creature step from the wood line. 12 feet tall. This is massive. Like, even by Bigfoot standards, that's just massive. Yeah, I'm just imagining, like, that's like double your height. Yeah. He shines this bright flashlight on it, and he, he said that it had shiny black hair, so he could see in the light. It was, it was shiny. Casts a shadow on the tree behind it, so it was something that was physical, uh, physical there. <laughs> and now the entire family just opens up shooting at this thing. Just all of them. They're just unloading their guns all at once. No effect on it. No effect on the creature. So here we have the, your bulletproof Bigfoot, as Josh and I talk about. It turns sideways. It moves out of the flashlight beam in what Polycus described only as a, quote, strange sort of motion. I wish he would have had more detail on that. Mm-hmm. But again, it, these things move in odd ways, according to witnesses. He sees another set of glowing eyes. He aims his flashlight on it. It's a creature with its face, like, close to the ground. He said... He keeps the light and watches this creature's face for a full minute. He just observes this thing in the flashlight. So that he then watches the creature crawl away back into the shadows. They approach the tree line again, and they note the closer they get, the further these red glowing eyes seem to draw back into the trees. They have them on the run. <laughs> on July 8th, 1981, the Valley News of Orwell, Ohio, prints the following story. Orwell, Ohio. Rome's strange beast, is it fact or fantasy? Principal figures involved in the mystery of a strange beast or beasts that once again are being reported on Johnson Road here are refusing to comment or to talk to the media. 
The Valley News has learned at least three area residents spotted what they believe is a nine-foot-tall animal which walks on its hind legs Thursday night in the same area where sheriff's deputies found large footprints a week ago. Ducks and chickens continue to be found dead or missing in the same area. Other residents on Johnson Road feel the creature might be a bear. One longtime resident of the area reported hearing grunting and growling sounds from the woods this week, and he remembers bears in the area many years ago and feels there might be one or two still living in the thick, rugged country near the Grand River by Johnson Road. One Rome resident had reportedly made plaster casts of the creature's footprints, but most area residents are passing off the sightings as nothing more than someone's vivid imagination. However, one person whom the Valley News contacted swore the creature is real and is not a bear. The family said since it came to the property, four ducks and some chickens have disappeared. On July 15th, the Valley News prints another article on the area Bigfoot sightings. Is there a Bigfoot-type creature in this rural area of Ashtabula County? Oh, this is Ashtabula? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Two people who have devoted their lives to studying such phenomenon think so. One is Dennis Palakis of Roaming Shores. For 18 years, Palakis has recorded, documented, and written about UFOs, Bigfoot creatures, and other perhaps unexplained happenings. He first found out about strange sightings now being described as in the vicinity of Johnson Road in an initial story two weeks ago in the Valley News. He sought out the family in question, which still prefers its name not be printed. I told him I was sincerely interested in getting footprints, Palakis said. I got some plaster of Paris, and we got our first prints on July 2nd. I didn't go out there until after I'd seen the police reports. The family first reported hearing grunting screams and later found four domestic ducks with their heads bitten off. Palikas, who is affiliated with a nationwide network, was intrigued. As described in earlier stories, the creatures which may have been seen bear no resemblance to bears. By comparison with trees and man-made structures, which the creatures have stood next to, are believed to be about nine feet tall. Most often, a six-foot creature has been seen with one about nine feet tall. Besides the strange sightings, an awful smell, there we go, usually is noted when the creature or creatures are seen. Several people from the initial family and other individuals have now seen the creatures. They're described as gorilla-like. Even those people who have seen the creatures at close range seem to have trouble describing the thing accurately. Palikas took plaster casts of footprints found in the vicinity, and he described the ground as quite hard, indicating that the creature must be quite heavy to sink one and a half to two inches into the earth. Each of these creatures had large red glowing eyes. A mystery even to Palikas is that after clear sightings, often no tracks are left even though grass may be matted down and branches broken. While these reports may sound bizarre at best to the uninformed, to Palikas they are almost normal. For the Valley News, he introduced books and reports from Pennsylvania and several surrounding states. The large three-toed tracks, glowing red eyes, the stench, and other similarities make the Rome reports sound nearly identical. I want to make it clear that I have spent at least 60 research hours on these sightings, said Palikas, who has spent several nights in the area. I firmly believe these people have not made anything up. There's always a slight percentage factor of, of exaggerating, but these people have been seeing something. In similar cases, the sightings have continued for several months and then just suddenly stop. A year ago in Lisbon, Ohio, similar reports of strange noises and breaking limbs were noted. As in the Rome case, even the most fearsome of dogs cowered in fright. In June of the same year in Russell's Point, Ohio, a six-foot-tall creature which had a horrible smell scared a farmer and his dogs and left a 16-inch footprint. Other Ohio sites dated back to 1973 have been recorded in Minerva. In 1978 to present, East Liberty, Mecca, Mansfield, and Oberlin as well. 
It must be noted that in none of these cases were humans harmed or any great amount of damage done. Other than fright, these creatures seem to do no harm to humans. So these encounters around Rome continued into August of 1981. On August 21st, Palaikis, along with some other investigators, returned to the property. Robert fills them in on things that had happened around the farm since their last visit. Another chicken had been killed, and he said the back of the bird was bitten off. He had been building a new pole barn on his property, and one morning he woke to find his building materials scattered. Sawhorses were found in the field nearby, presumably thrown there by the creatures, and five-toed footprints were found around the area. One day, and this is one of the creepiest things, they heard something in the basement of their house. Oh, jeez. And the only access to the basement was from the outside of the house. It's kind of like your parents' basement, I imagine. Yeah. So later, Robert goes to take a bath or something. He finds he, he has no hot water. And he goes to check the fuse box in the basement. He finds the fuse box smashed, and he says it looks like there are finger impressions in the metal. It looked like something just grabbed the, the fuse box and just smashed it in. Are there pictures of that? I did not see any pictures of that. I do not know. But another electrical box that was housing controls at one of the nearby gas wells. So if you're not familiar with Ohio, they have a lot of gas wells and stuff. We saw them when we were there. I remember hiking. We saw them. And that looked also as it had been crushed by hands, had almost like finger impressions in it. And the workmen said they couldn't explain the damage. The investigators were informed that this creature activity was also happening across the Grand River, which is just west of the Roberts Farm. They investigate this area. They find a 20-inch-long five-toed footprint. Absolutely massive. 20 inches long. They hear an unexplained scream in the woods. They talk to another family across the river, and they report hearing strange pig-like squeals on their property. On the night of August 21st, the investigators place three rabbits in a field near Robert's house. This is when I tell you that guy was a cowboy. This is where he gets into. They come this night loaded. They've got firearms. They've got containers of compressed acid that they're going nobody to... nobody thinks to bring a camera though i don't know if they brought cameras <laughs> or not, but uh, they they come with all these weapons what i'm picturing in my head is some version of it in the lost boys when the <laughs> right yeah the frog brothers <laughs> the frog brothers uh, are getting ready for the big battle speaking of not to th- distract us here but i was informed that uh, so Corey Feldman and the other Frog Brother are now doing a paranormal show on YouTube. Frog Brothers Investigate or something it's called. And I was informed that I could have been part of that, but I left the Harcon too early. In fact, they, they asked me originally, Corey Feldman's manager, mm-hmm. hey Dave, <laughs> uh, asked me to take Corey out that night. And I thought, but then these like ghost hunting people stepped in with all their ghost huntiness and their... Mm-hmm stuff and all their plans so i figured oh they got they have it covered but i guess that he was thinking i would go with them to do the ghost hunting thing i did not get that uh so i guess i could have been you know with an honorary frog with with the frog brothers but uh, it did not happen maybe someday in any case besides all these weapons and these containers of compressed acid i mean these guys are where does one get that i don't know it's the the early 80s you know (laughs) they bring three rabbits okay Inside these rabbits, and I don't know whether they fed them these capsules or whether they've sewn them into the fur, I don't know, are cyanide capsules. 
Where do you get cyanide? Capsules? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where they get this. This is the early eighties. <laughs> you can't just explain so it. These, it was the early eighties. These 80s. rabbits have cyanide capsules, and they're literally bombs. Yeah. And they said these capsules can't be broken unless anything tries to eat them. So they tie these rabbits to these heavy metal milk crates with twelve hundred pound test paracord, and they leave them in the field as bait. They then play this tape loop of distressed rabbit calls. Oh, wow. Trying to draw these creatures in. About 9.30 p.m., they see multiple pairs of eyes approaching from the woods. As many as six pairs of eyes were seen at once. And they're approaching the rabbits. At the same time, this is happening. The white glowing lights are appearing behind the house. Polycus sees what he called phantom flashlight beams which is exactly what Chad and I described the lights at Site 7 looking like the one night. He saw them in the woods. He said they were sometimes white and sometimes blue. The investigator said they became very concerned and they felt as if they were under siege from the phenomenon. But the activity calmed by 10.30 p.m. Robert set up guard at the pole barn. He said one of his cows was due to give birth and he was afraid the creatures would make off with the calf. Black form steps from the trees. It's no bigger than a human. So they called to the entity. They asked if it was human. They received grunts and growls in reply. And I believe this was McIntyre. Just shoots it. Since it looks like a human, but it doesn't reply. So he just shoots it. But it could have just been, you know. Yeah, it could have been anybody. Somebody who just didn't hear them. Yeah. I mean, anyway, I guess it wasn't. It screams and howls and runs back into the woods. The investigators approach the woods and they hear something whimpering as if it's in pain in the woods. At 1 a.m., the rabbits are heard making noise, and they see another set of glowing red eyes approaching the rabbits. So the investigators decide to walk down the road to try to get a different view of the area. Now, Robert's family had two cats, which were very friendly and apparently followed the investigators kind of playfully behind them. Oh, this isn't going to end well. At some point, they see the cats become like fearful and distressed, and the hair stands up on end, and their tails start twitching. They start walking back to the residence, taking that as, as a warning, and then they hear this howl, which Robert's family heard all the way from the house. So morning comes, and the investigators leave. They've stayed up all night. They decide to go get a few hours sleep, and then they're going to come back and retrieve these rabbits. Literally deadly weapons. Mm-hmm. They're leaving out in the open there with these cyanide capsules. In. When they leave, all three rabbits are still alive. It's daytime. When they return, one of the rabbits is missing. The rabbit closest to the woods is gone. The crate's overturned and the paracord is snapped. They said it looked very much like it was snapped, not cut. Like it wasn't a clean cut, it looked like it was, it was snapped. They find huge five-toed tracks around the area, some of them as long as 18 inches. The second and third rabbits remained there, but one of them had a puncture wound in its stomach, and they said it looked like it was something with a, a sharp claw had squeezed it. My thought immediately goes to, was the puncture wound... So these things are not natural animals, you know what I mean? And they seem to have some propensity for figuring stuff out. I don't want to say reading your mind. Like, Tobe says, like, they can read your mind, essentially. Was the poke... Was it looking for the cyanide capsule? You know what I mean? Was it trying to get the cyanide capsule out? You know what I mean? These are questions I would love to ask Polycus. So Polycus leaves off the story at this point. There's nothing... What happens to this rabbit... There's only a promise to update readers with newsletters in the future. So I guess you had to contact them and say you wanted to, I don't know if any of these newsletters even exist. 
I would love to know. Is the address still valid 40 years later? <laughs> yeah, I doubt that. There's a couple times in Night Siege that he hints at things regarding the story that he says just can't be told. And at one point, he talks about this. He says, Robert's son has just come home. And he's talking about the incident where the creature was in the basement. Mm-hmm. And how reluctant Robert was to describe the story. Because he said he, he kind of didn't want his son to know about him. And this is what Palakis writes about that. He says, he did not want to tell us right off, as he had just gotten his boy back home. And he was trying to keep things from him. There was some sort of linkage between the boy and the creatures, as well as the UFOs. At this time, we are not able to determine if the boy's reactions and such are due to his emotional trouble in putting up with the intense goings-on, or if he was having real experiences of a personal nature. So that is an enticing paragraph, which we get no more information on. Where was his son coming back from? That's my question. Was he coming home from, you know, like... An insane asylum? Was it? Was he having that much trouble? Was he? Did he move out because of these creatures was somewhere? He just coming home from work for the day? Yeah, I don't know. I don't and is know. this the same boy who started to see the? I assume it was it was the one who kicked off, but I do not know. I know he had more than one son. So, you know, what what are these so called personal experiences he, he was having? I would love to know this information. I really love to know. So, is this a case kind of like you know your Salem witch trials where? The first couple people start to have fits, and then pretty soon everyone's having fits. And I, there are witches everywhere. Yeah, I don't know. I think if you see one of these things, mm-hmm. I think it would be frightening enough that every bump in the night for a good long while afterwards. I think forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, might be another. But um, Here's the thing, though. The, the curious part about it is if you really legitimately thought that someone else in the family was experiencing something due to a mental health issue, my first reaction would not be to climb up on the roof and shoot at someone else's delusions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. who knows? Who knows? I am extremely curious to talk to any parties involved in this case. I have tried to track down Dennis Palakis and McIntyre without much luck. If anybody listening can put me in touch with Palakis or McIntyre or any of the parties involved in this case absolutely love to talk to them i want to do more digging i want to find out what happened after this and find out any other details we can there's got to be somebody listening in close enough portion of ohio that i hope so i really 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 would like to dig into this case more it's super interesting to me like i said i feel this is right up there with skinwalker ranch it's one of those cases that just has everything and speaking of everything mm-hmm. i think we've hit everything haven't we <laughs> Everything except historical reports. You know that's my specialty. From the Evening Review, East Liverpool, Ohio, July 6th, 1897. Same time of year, same night. Yeah. That's the big event. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I didn't put that together. Wow. Wild man seen again. He wears nothing but hair, which is long and curly. The wild man who created so much terror among the inhabitants near Rome, Ohio, several weeks ago by his strange actions has again been seen. Charles Lukens and Bob Forner, while cutting timber a few miles from Rome, claim they encountered a wild man, and after a severe struggle, say they were able to drive the gorilla-like object into his supposed retreat among the cliffs. They describe the terror as being about six feet tall, and his only covering, apparently, a mat of long, curly hair. From their description of the supposed wild man, he is undoubtedly the same seen a number of times several weeks ago, 
Women and children are now more thoroughly frightened than ever and are afraid to venture from their homes lest they meet the wild creature. A posse of determined men will scour the country now until the terror is located and captured or killed. So, strange things happening in Rome, Ohio. On the same night of the year. Same night of the year, back in the 1890s. While these strange things are happening in Rome, at the same time, the community of Rock Creek, Ohio, which is about seven miles north, right along the Grand River, is having its own set of sightings. So much of this activity is centered around an area where an old railroad bed cut through the woods. I believe it's a rail trail now. I think you can actually walk this rail trail now. Nearby was an old graveyard worth mentioning, as well as several oil and gas wells. So here we have digging into the ground again. People had been hearing strange bird calls in the area for weeks. They described it as an owl-like call that was not an owl. In mid-June of 1981, a young man is taking a shortcut between his grandparents' house and his parents' house. As he's walking along this railroad bed, he hears some strange grunting and wheezing noises coming from the woods. He continues his walk. He comes upon this swampy area. And at this point, he hears the same grunts and wheezes close behind him. He turns and he sees a nine-foot-tall, hair-covered creature about 20 feet behind him. He described it looking like an overgrown gorilla with long arms and legs. He has a twenty-two with him, but he knows this small caliber is not going to do anything against this creature. So he takes off running. He's running. The creature is following behind him and walking. It's keeping the 20-foot distance between them. So he's running as fast as he can. The creature's just walking, mm-hmm. and it's closing, you know, the, keeping the same distance. He hears these heavy footfalls behind him. Eventually, he stops to, to catch his breath, and the creature stops again. He can, again, he hears it making these wheezing and grunting sounds. He decides at this point, like, if it wanted to get me, it could have gotten me. Mm-hmm. So he's he looks back. He sees the creature. It's now just 15 feet, so it's even closer to him. So he takes off running again. The creature follows again, keeping, keeping pace with him at a walk. He's running. The creature's walking and just keeping the same pace. He finally reaches this path cut through a cornfield. He cut the path himself to the cornfield, I think, to drive his motorcycle or something through his dirt bike. He cuts through this path, which leads to his grandparents' house. He looks back, and he sees that the creature remained in the rail bed. It didn't follow him into the cornfield. He says the entire chase took about five minutes from the time he first saw it to the time he gets to his grandparents' house. He arrives at his grandparents' house. He's sweaty. He's confused. He's deeply distressed. His grandmother talks about seeing him, how upset he was. He did not notice glowing eyes or any facial features at all in the creatures. He just described it as a big, black, overgrown gorilla. So Polycus goes to this area, too, to investigate, and he finds three-toed tracks. He finds a broken and twisted tree. It's broken about 12 feet up, and it's stained with what looks like blood. A few nights later, the young man returns to the area with two of his friends. And they begin to hear this wheezing and grunting again, along with breaking brush. The creature pokes its head out of the woods and starts running along the railway bed. So two of the three boys get a good look at the creature, and they described it similarly to the first creature. However, they noted an odd feature on this one. They said, one of the creature's eyes seemed to be way off to the side of its face. The other eye appeared to be normally positioned. Yeah, what a weird detail. So one of the boys panics, shoots at the creature. He evidently hit it. 
as it falls into the bushes and gets up and runs screaming into the woods. This young man, he's a brave kid. He, he continues to visit this area and look for this creature, even after these two sightings. These people are made of, like... Brave folks. So whenever he goes into this area, he sat on the same mound of dirt. He said he would always just go up there and sit, always on the same mound of the dirt. He encounters nothing else until the night of October 9th, 1981. Again, he's out with two friends, and they notice this big black shape step from the woods. And they think it's a hunter at first, but when it gets about 100 feet away from him, they could tell it was the creature. It begins approaching them at a very fast pace, so they all run back to the house. So he revisits the area in the daylight, and he finds the creature had left a single footprint, a deep footprint that was stomped into the mound of dirt whenever he would sit, like right where he would sit every time. It had stomped his, its foot right into that mound of dirt. He said it was a. Actually, I saw f- photographs of this tracks. It's a, a, another one of those strange bird-like three-toed tracks. It's, this one's about fourteen inches long, right into the mound. So I'm looking for Bigfoot accounts around Rock Creek, Ohio, as well. And I find this one. This is on an internet forum. So the poster said they made a drawing, which is no longer viewable. So f- whenever this post was, I guess the, the file is no longer viewable. But the witness said uh, he saw a creature, and this is a quote, peering at me from behind a tree in Rock Creek, Ohio, back in 1982. So this is a year after. Yeah, and they could be off a little bit. It really could be this exact same time. Yeah. He said, I didn't post this for debate about whether people think Bigfoot is real or not. This is what I personally saw. I do not remember it looking very ferocious, more curious, I think. But its sheer size and not knowing what it was terrified me back then. It's something I can never forget. And then this comes from the Sasquatch Chronicles blog. A listener writes, Hey Wes, I had an encounter back in 1982 in Rock Creek, Ohio. I was only 10 years old at the time. It occurred alongside a set of abandoned railroad tracks, which ran parallel to the Smith & Wesson plant where my dad worked. The plant owned all the property along the way of the tracks, and they gave my dad permission to cut wood. He had a wood stove for heat at the time. It happened on Saturday, August 21st, around 1 to 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm positive of the date because there was a TV movie of Flash Gordon on that night, which I was so excited to see. I've been waiting for several weeks, like it was Christmas. I checked the date on IMDb. It also checks because we would always go every weekend, August through October, so we'd have enough wood to last November through spring. My dad had already cut down several small trees and was chopping and splitting logs into smaller pieces, which I would carry back to the truck and stack in the bed. He usually did that so we could fit as much wood in the truck as possible. I had just taken a load to the truck and was walking back to my dad's location when I just happened to look up and saw this large creature peeking out from behind a tree, watching me. It was so close, probably only 20 to 30 feet away. I froze instantly. It scared the absolute crap out of me. I didn't know what it was. I wasn't thinking Bigfoot, for sure. In my 10-year-old mind, I just thought it was some kind of monster. Its hair was very close to the color of Chewbacca. It had lighter colored skin, and it seemed a little bald on top. I don't know exactly how tall it was, but it was taller than my dad, and he was six foot four inches. I'm not sure how long I stood there, but I let out a pretty loud scream and took off running towards my dad's location. I think my scream scared the creature too, because it took off in the opposite direction immediately. I honestly don't remember much after that, as I was out of breath and rambling to my dad. He never saw or heard anything, and just laughed it off. He told me I was imagining things, and threatened to take away my monster magazines and comics if I didn't knock it off. I've never forgotten that day. I still wonder exactly what I saw, 
The tracks are now going, and it's a 44-mile-long paved bike trail called the Western Reserve Greenway Trail. I went back there a couple years ago with my wife. We walked back into about the same spot where my dad used to cut wood. I still got very uncomfortable being there. We noticed it was very quiet. No bird sounds, no bugs or frogs, nothing. We didn't hang around long. I have to say, we walked back to the car at a much faster pace than we walked in there. One thing that has occurred to me, looking back now as an adult, my dad's wood chopping did sound an awful lot like tree knocking. Maybe the sound is what attracted the creature to check us out. So more accounts from the same time in the same area. Very, very interesting. I don't know what they were seeing, but they were seeing something. Again, if anyone has any contact information for Dennis Polakis or Willard McIntyre or any of these researchers involved in this case, or if you happen to know the family involved, anybody involved. If you were a kid at that time period and remember hearing like an urban legend or something that might be relatable. Absolutely. I want all the information I can get on these cases. Again, I feel like this is on par with Skinwalker Ranch as far as what occurred there. Super interesting. Something very, very strange was happening in Rome, Ohio in 1981, and I'd like to find out more about it. Well, we couldn't let episode 200 pass without a little nod to 90 Days of the Perfect Puppy. <laughs> I don't know if they could help with a Bigfoot problem, <laughs> but they can help with put puppy. put you out of business. <laughs> but they can help with puppy problems. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy has a relationship-based approach that helps you and your puppy become perfect for each other. They have online sources like video lessons, a secret Facebook group, and of course, one-on-one options are available as well. You can find them at sithappens.us. You look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. They can help you understand how your dog thinks and apply proactive training methods so you and your puppy can become perfect for each other. Whether you're having problems with mouthing and biting, potty training, fear and nervousness, barking, chewing on furniture or shoes or other things your puppy shouldn't be chewing on, crate training, hyperactivity issues, leash training, and more, 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can teach you what to do and perhaps more importantly, what not to do. Again, you can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. You didn't have any Bigfoot photos for me to use as photo of the week. However, it's a UFO photo. <laughs> it could be. I mean, they could be staring at Bigfoot too. You don't know. Oh, yeah. It could be like a very tall Bigfoot just out of frame there. I think at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they appear to be at the beach. No, they're looking at something in the sky. Yeah, I like this as one of those sort of uh, just sort of random vernacular photos that are, you know, somebody just took. To me, this has like kind of a a deeper, more strange familiars kind of meaning. Because I imagine these kids looking up at some unusual phenomenon. In the sky. In the sky. Yeah. Of course we don't know. But I, I like the um, the sort of reflection broken up by the rippled water. It's really, really neat. Yeah, and the old bathing suits from the time when men's bathing suits covered nearly as much as women's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really, really cool. So this is uh, a little bit later than most of the photos. Yeah, we, I'm thinking we probably 30s. Really, really neat photo. The composition is just really nice. It's just like a nicely composed amateur photo. Yeah, very, very neat. This will be our photo of the week for the week. You can see an image of this in the show notes. If you click on that image, it should take you right to our Etsy shop where you can buy this and 
other photos of the week, we have a few others still remaining there. We have a photo of the week section in our Etsy shop. Etsy shop name is Lost Grave. You can either look it up that way. If you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff comes up as well. Besides photos of the week, I have original artwork in there, various prices. All of my books are in there, including the new illustration book, Apparitions. That's still available. Any of the books you get from us directly will be signed. Got some music in there as well. When you buy from our Etsy shop, of course, that helps support the show as well. So check it out. Link for our Etsy shop is always in the show notes. Tee Public is having tons of sales through November. They usually have a sale like one weekend a month or so. But November, I think most weekends in November, I think the Tee Public sale will be on. We'll try to announce it again, but uh, check out our Tee Public shop. Again, links are in the show notes. If you type in Strange Familiars at Tee Public as well, our stuff will come up. We have tons of designs up there. Check that out for Strange Familiars t-shirts and more. If you're on Etsy, checking out the Strange Familiars shop, make sure to check out our friends Karmic Garden. Etsy.com slash shop slash Karmic Garden. They have soaps, scented sanitizers, natural cleaners, candles, beard balm, and more, as well as our bespoke curated Strange Familiars <laughs> scent. <laughs> Trusted remedies made from Mother Nature. Check them out, Karmic Garden on Etsy. Once again, I want to thank everybody for listening, and thank you for helping us get to 200 episodes. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars gathering group and interact with other listeners. And we are on Instagram at strangefamiliars.
Upgrade you to our Shred membership. For 130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.